Hi, and welcome to the 4th U Dimension podcast. My name is Ember Kelly, and I'm the Director of Religious Education at 4th Universalist Society in the city of New York. This podcast in particular is part of our Getting the Message series, which is a series where we reflect on the reflections, where we take our Sunday messages and just dive a little deeper into them. On our podcast format, which you can find on SoundCloud and Spotify, you can uh, listen to the message itself. On our YouTube videos, you can watch the message as a separate video, uh, but we're had to, glad to have you join us on either of our platforms. And we look forward to discussing the message from November 29th, which is the spirit of play, uh, which was shared with us by Olas Karyanis, who is here with us today to talk about their message. Uh, glad to have you with us. Hi, hi, so happy to be here. Okay, at this point, we will include the message from the weekend. So go ahead and give it a listen. Our reading this week tells of the story of Jesus as a child. It opens with Jesus performing a miracle. He cleans the water of the brook and he gathers it up. Now, Jesus's early miracle is seemingly age appropriate. He does not heal the sick, turn water into wine, raise the dead. He cleans the water. He gathers it up into pools. He plays with it. And what is fascinating about this is that none of the adults see Jesus performing these acts. Surely performing miracles of any type falls under the Sabbath prohibitions. And yet Jesus continues unnoticed by anyone because we adults often do not take the play of children seriously. This scene of Jesus playing in the water made me think of how incredibly lonely Jesus must have been as a child. For he has these powers to perform miracles and literally no one in the world to explain to him the significance of these powers. So often childhood is lonely like that, where we struggle to understand the gifts that we bring to the world. When my brother was a teenager, he was a fantastic skateboarder. And in this at the time when skateboarding was not yet accepted into the mainstream culture. Skateboarding at the time primarily consisted of finding new and radical uses for the lived environment. Handrails were perfect for a nose slide or a median for a manual. At the time, uh, my brother, he struggled with school, with reading and with writing and the adults in his life attributed this to a lack of focus, to playing too much. Uh, they could not see that his form of play, uh, skateboarding, was also an expressive and creative endeavor, one that had value and that allowed him to notice things in the world that went unnoticed by them. Skateboarding introduced him to a wide strata of people who make the streets their home and exposed him to a wider swath of American life than the adults would have preferred. Uh, or perhaps they would have just preferred that he read about it in books. Uh, skateboarding brought him to an impressive career of cinematography and extreme sports. It was his gift and it was a gift that adult society could not only could not value, but which it was hostile to. His play was a gift that no one had yet understood. And I, I wonder if Jesus' play with the pools of water was an expression of a gift that no one had yet understood. 
the, the scripture, it doesn't say whether there were any other children playing with Jesus at the time, but I like to imagine that there were other children there. This scripture was written by an adult, and so often we adults overlook children as not central to a storyline or a plot, and that's much to our detriment. Children often notice so much more than adults. Imagine as a child seeing a friend command the water to be clean and then seeing it happen. Our adult brain would likely feel shock and then disbelief, but with children? For them, so much of the world is already new and magical, so would Jesus' miracles be any different? I imagine that the children around Jesus would be excited to try it themselves. Maybe they would even believe that they had done it too, in that way that children can imagine themselves into convincement. The play of other often, others often calls children to emulate their play and to share in each other's play. And, you know, if there were children there playing with Jesus, were these his first followers, the first witnesses to his miracles? Were the disciples, the first disciples, playmates, spreading the gospel by playing with and emulating the Messiah? Throughout the Gospel of Mark, people do not really seem to get that Jesus is the Messiah. In fact, he is mistaken throughout the Gospel, uh, right up until his death when the curtain in the Holy of Holies was torn from top to bottom. Now, of course, in the other Gospels, there are people who know who Jesus is before he's even born. Inexplicably, they simply just provide him with gifts and then leave. They don't follow him. They don't stick around to make his life better or to get him a room and they certainly don't play with him. But children? Perhaps this is why in Matthew, Jesus notices the children and blesses the children even over the remonstrances of his disciples, because they were the first to play with him and to help him understand his power. So the story goes on, and Jesus continues to play, this time forming 12 spiros from the clay. But this act did not go unnoticed. Like my brother and so many of our children, Jesus' art was not noticed for its beauty. What child could pick, uh, what child before the age of 12 could pick up dirt and water and form it into a sparrow? Sparrows, mind you, not just some random birds or bird-like things, but sparrows. That in and of itself is an indication of the specialness of this child. However, to the adults who saw, they only saw that Jesus violated the rules, that his play crossed over into work, that his play broke the rules. With so many miracles abounding, the adults of this world so often have blinders on, unable to notice the miracles because they are unable to play. And Jesus made 12 sparrows, 12 of them. One would have been a feat, and think about the significance of the number 12. There were 12 tribes of Israel, of course, and there were 12 apostles. 12 is the age of Jesus when he is arguing theology in the temple in Luke. In some ways, these 12 sparrows are a prophetic threading of the past to the future, turning the 12 tribes of Israel into the 12 commissioned apostles. Fred Rogers, better known as Mr. Rogers, uh, says that parents are like shuttles in a loom. They join the threads of the past with the threads of the future, 
and leave their own bright patterns as they go. In the creation of these sparrows, uh, Jesus seems to be threading together the past with the future. Just as his ministry created the rupture that wove together the BC with the AD, the ancient past with the common era, as we call it today. And Jesus chose to create sparrows. Uh, and you may remember in uh, Matthew, the quote, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. Sparrows lacked any real value at the time. They were barely even worth noticing. And yet Jesus says God notices each and every one of them. Sparrows are small. They cost very little. Sparrows are frivolous and playful creatures beneath the gaze of most people. And yet God notices them. Jesus notices them. And Jesus loves these sparrows into existence. And when Joseph comes out to admonish Jesus, he, he does this under the gaze of the other adults who are sure to notice if he doesn't intervene. And in this scene, I, it makes me wonder if Joseph was even aware of Jesus's messianic birth. I mean, surely he was, but he is nonetheless compelled to ensure that he does not draw attention. Um, Joseph doesn't go out to follow Jesus's lead or to play with him, but to impose the rules upon him. Uh, in, in the form of caring for Jesus's relationship with God. That, that is to say that he doesn't notice Jesus's more fundamental relationship with God uh, than the rules. But Jesus's special relationship won't be overlooked. Just as when Jesus was older and his ministry caught the attention of the ruling elite as undermining their authority, so too Jesus's ministry undermines the rule of the adults in his life by its very existence. And I love the joyful play with which Jesus's punchline is delivered. He solves Joseph's problem by getting rid of the evidence. Instead of resting on the Sabbath day, Jesus creates new life, 12 new birds whose very existence will be counted by God and whose existence announces the arrival of the Messiah. The first self-revelation of Jesus's messianic arrival onto the planet surges up through play. Jesus pulled off a prank. Instead of disregarding the story as apocryphal or non-canonical fancy, it is the very essence of Jesus's ministry. Jesus noticed the children when no one else noticed them. Jesus noticed the poor when the powerful would rather be rid of them. Jesus noticed every sparrow. He counted every sparrow because he knew they counted on him. This story reminds us that play is serious ministry and ministry is seriously joyful. It teaches us that play helps bring forth the past into the future. That play not rules creates worship. Play notices the small, the weak and the dependent. Rules are the tools of those who wield them to contain play. Play is a sacred practice of noticing the stuff in the world in a new way and in a way that calls us to create and to emulate, but also to recognize the divinity and glory of the created world. 
often we adults see ourselves as protecting our children and protecting ourselves from the danger of the world by taking up a spirit of seriousness. We insist that we do not let our play be noticed by the gaze of others, that the handrail is really just for hands and not for skateboards, or that clay is not life-giving. We protect ourselves from our from the vulnerability which play brings. And in doing so, we may be safe for another day, but as those days bleed into years, we drift from our creative centers, from our spiritual centers. The spirit of play is the spirit of creation and the spirit of community. It calls us to joy and laughter, which ultimately is the stuff of the soul. Joy and laughter is what we want for all people. Let us cultivate that joy in our lives. Let us play. May it be so, and amen. Now that you've had a chance to hear uh, the messages recording from this Sunday, uh, let's take a little moment to reflect on this together. So once again, Olas, thank you for joining us. Uh, and I, I just found this as, as the director of religious education, the person uh, you know, most commonly seen as interacting a lot with the children, uh, I found this to be a really interesting topic to cover. I'm kind of curious, where did the inspiration uh, for doing a, a message about play uh, come from? Yeah, um, so it, this is my first podcast. I'm so excited to, uh, to, to be on. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, I think that the, the notion, the, the spirit of play uh, really, the inspiration came from this time period of uh, there's so many serious things going on uh, uh, with, with the pandemic, with um, the elections. And there's this sense that sometimes uh, uh, just playing and doing something joyful or, or doing something that, you know, makes us feel good, connects with others, playing a board game, whatever can be like an indulgence. Uh, uh, but not something to be celebrated in and of itself, like kind of like something that maybe even can generate guilt within us uh, when, there, when there's so much seriousness going on. And uh, so the reflection really was, uh, the inspiration really was like, oh no, that's really valuable to play. It's really important to feel joy. It's actually what we want for all people, like part of our part of our work in this world is is that all people can feel joy and laughter and ease and calm. So by practicing those things that bring that to us, we're actually doing important work. Uh, and it's not something to just feel like, oh, that that was good. I snuck away and did that. But the real important work's over here. Right, definitely. As as a parent that I homeschool, uh, we we homeschool both of our children uh, right now, especially with the pandemic, uh, but. You know, we put together all these big lessons and like, you know, have our have our game plan figured out. But, you know, one of the biggest areas of learning and we we make sure to like plan ahead that we're going to have lots of playtime and free time included, because this this time for play is the time where like kids discover and do so much of their learning. And even as adults, you know, we we've we've internalized this belief that we shouldn't. Um, but, you know, for adults, having that time to spend with ourselves, to spend thinking about things while maybe doing something we enjoy uh, or working on a project or playing a game. Like these are all moments where we can uh, better process life for sure. 
Yeah, and and I mean, along with that, it's it's uh, as you're saying, it's a huge part of like learning for adults too. I think often we we think that adults like learn differently or like a lecture series is is you know the best way to learn how to like use tools or something right but when really it gets down to it we play with the tools we you know try to screw this in unbolt this like whatever it is that we're doing uh with, with some sort of activity um and that's part of the learning is, is playing around with it seeing what the limits are to the objects that we're we're using so Right. Maybe instead of a podcast, I need to figure out how to have like an interactive video game reflection for for, for each message. I love it. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, well, yeah. And I, 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 speaking of video games, I think video games are actually another one of those things where um, they can help us explore the world, help us understand the limits uh, of the world, and, and be teaching tools uh, as well as things to play with. So. Right. Definitely. I mean, video games have entered more of the the cultural zeitgeist nowadays, but. I know as a kid, you know, it was very much still in the, the, the nerdy and frowned upon, but like, as I look back at some of these games that I was playing, I, I played a lot of like RPGs and JRPGs, Japanese RPGs for those who don't know. Uh, you know, I played a lot of these like Final Fantasy and Chrono Cross. And these, as I look back at these games now as an adult, these games were dealing with like these huge themes about like the meaning of life, identity, life and death. And like this, you know, I was basically reading a whole novel in video game form. Uh, and yeah, you know, there's, there's, there's room for seeing video games as a place where adults and kids can, can grow a little bit. Absolutely. I, I think that we've accepted uh, uh, up to a certain extent, like movies and television as being art and uh, things that can inform our moral and intellectual development. And uh, video games are right along in that. And just like with anything, there are video games that aren't aren't good. Uh, there are movies that aren't good, but there are also these video games that are high art, that are engaging, that are intellectual and that are uh, informative of our moral characters. So definitely. So one of the, there was, there was a line uh, that just particularly caught my attention that was, it was talking about parents as like this, this connection between the past and the future. Uh, but even as we, as we chatted briefly before starting recording the podcast, you know, one of my thoughts was even kind of the process of growing up is this weird, uh, you know, disconnect between the past and the future that we want to learn from others, but we want to do our own thing. Um, you know, how did, how did that kind of theme inform your message? Yeah, I, the quote was from a Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers, who uh, was, was a, a well-known. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, well known in some circles, you know. Uh, uh, he was a, a, actually a Presbyterian minister too. And uh, he kind of saw his, his ministry, the, the uh, education of children in the, the sort of, um, uh, giving children a space where they could be themselves, where they could uh, express themselves freely and and be accepted in that. Um, and to, to that uh, effect, um, he really tried to hold that space for uh, uh, children to explore their development, that past to the future, and become become who they are. I, it it makes me think a little bit of the um, William Wordsworth. Uh, home where he says, you know, the child becomes the father of the man. Now, outside of the uh, gendered language of our British romantic poets, uh, this sense that uh, that uh, our child in some ways, our childhood 
is something that's always with us. It's always informing us into our adulthood. And in some ways it, it is, it is parenting us uh, as well as being that thing that is in the past, that is uh, something we've left behind. So, yeah. Makes me think about like those, those inner child meditations, but I figure that is a whole other podcast for, for a different day. Um, so what are some ways, you know, it's something that I think about as the director of religious education a lot. Uh, how do we better listen to children, like both in our community, but also just in our daily lives? How do we better acknowledge and listen to children? I mean, it's it's such a hard question, and I would definitely not say that I was uh, an expert in this field at all. Um, but I do think, just from from my observations and my memories, is is uh, one entering into the world of children, like entering into the kind of rules that their play is creating, uh, not trying to hold on to the external uh, uh, viewpoint, um, and also just taking them very seriously. Uh, children are very complex uh, uh, emotional beings that pick up on a lot more than we than we recognize and process things in ways that are strange and kind of magical uh, in ways that we we ourselves maybe wouldn't think of processing it but um, I, I think those things are are important but also just getting in touch with that sense of play in yourself like allowing yourself to uh, express that in any way that feels like great to you. It could be playing a board game with friends or playing a video game or uh, skip skipping rope or, you know, any of these things. I, I, I used to skateboard uh, like my brother and every now and again, uh, I try to go out and skateboard again. Um, I'm much older and not as limber as I was before, but it does bring me, uh, it does bring me that back to that place uh, uh, where the world was, uh, something for me to use in a new way. I, I, I can admit to myself, I, I suppose, uh, and admit to the public, I, I guess, when, when sharing this, that about a, a little bit over a year ago when we were living in Vietnam, I developed the obsession with, I'm gonna get a skateboard for my birthday with my, with my birthday money and we're gonna, I'm gonna use it. I'm gonna like commute with it. Like I'm gonna like, you know, ride a little bit on the Vietnamese roads and then I'll catch a bike for like the rest of the way. And, <laughs> Uh, needless to say, yeah, it didn't really quite turn out. You know, it's it's definitely maybe that a uh, that slightly more nostalgic feeling than an actual um, acting. And you know, sometimes that even happens with like video games or books that we enjoyed as kids or movies. That you know, they can provide us that that sense of of things that we enjoyed as as kids. So I guess uh, a final closing kind of question would be. What are some practical ways both that, that you've done it, but also maybe that others can do it for letting play into our own lives? Like you mentioned skateboarding. What are, what are some other ways we can do that? Yeah, so I, uh, I, I, I um, read children's books out loud uh, uh, to my wife uh, at night. Uh, it's a fun way to engage. They're usually easy stories to read uh, out loud and to hear, to listen to, because they're not as complicated maybe as like an adult novel or something that don't require as much focus. Uh, and they usually uh, kind of are on one theme, you know, so it's an easier thing to manage, uh, you know, um, films, uh, all the things I was talking about before, watching films. I, I love um, any of the Peter Pan series of stories and movies and this idea that childhood is something that does exist in us always. Uh, 
through the ways that we play with each other and uh, things like that. Um, I, I don't know. I, I'd be interested to hear also how, how you play. <laughs> well, I was going to say, you know, like, I think one of the, one of the takeaways, both as I, as I prepared uh, my time for all ages and as I listened to the message that, you know, we, I think as adults, we like block fun from our lives. Like, you know, like, like you mentioned earlier in the podcast, I think uh, it was that, you know, we, we very much like say like, you know, we like um, segment it off. And like, I think about, you know, maybe how I even like schedule, like, oh, well, this is when I can have my free time and I can do the things I want to do. And I'm, you know, I'm working on spreading that out a little bit more throughout the day and being more flexible about that. Uh, you know, I think that just making sure that we allow that space for us to have fun, even in such like a hard year, um, and even in whatever challenges we face, like we're, we're going to function better if we're able to have that downtime, have that playtime, have that fun, even as adults. Um, uh, you know, I think I have it a little bit, e you know, easy with, with two very active kids that are always wanting to play. Um, both who, of whom seem to have a passion for video games as well. So I'm, you know, celebrating that a little bit. <laughs> um, but I, um, you know, so I get lots of opportunity there. And it, it's just always a good reminder too. I was thinking about, you know, when you were talking about the unique ways that the kids process things, uh, my son, uh, my oldest, he is very big on his imaginary friends. And as a grown up, like, there's times that I'm like, okay, I don't need to hear about these imaginary friends again. Or, you know, I don't, I don't need to know that that Shark Boy and Lava Girl don't want to eat their food. Um, trademark uh, required there on that one. Um, uh, but, you know, but then I th it makes me think about how as a kid, like, I loved like coming up with new imaginary friends and like, I, you know, um, so it is good to, to be around kids to kind of help us uh, stay young in our own thinking, I think, too. Yeah, definitely. And I, I, I do think that it can become that we can get ourselves into two different loops, one where we, we go out and do something that's fun and that's joyful and playful and then feel guilty about it afterwards, like I should have been so serious in doing something. But also this this other side of being like, oh, I feel so guilty, I haven't done anything fun or you know, I really should be more of a fun person or something like that. And I, I think that really taking care of ourselves in that sense of just giving ourselves a little bit of grace of, you know, sometimes life feels so overwhelmingly stressful and you, you, you're not in a place where you're going to uh, honestly play and, and that's like okay for a period or where it's what you need to do. You got to drop everything. You got to stop doing the work that you're doing and you got to go have some fun and that's important too and that's okay. And, you know, uh, sometimes boring fun is okay too. Uh, <laughs> things that we might find fun maybe aren't for everybody. But you know, we 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 can still celebrate them. I think, um, whether that's you know knitting and embroidery or uh, reading or you know watching certain types of movies that maybe others don't quite enjoy, uh, you know it's okay to to find the things that that work for you. Um, yeah, I think that you know I, I'm I'm really happy that this message really gave us a chance as a community uh, to to step back from the seriousness for a moment. So thank you so much for joining us today for this podcast slash YouTube video. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. And uh, uh, thanks to Fourth U. It, it felt really good coming back. I, I've been away for uh, a little bit. It is my, my home congregation. I've been away for a little bit because I am field work interning um, with another congregation for this 
towards ministry, but it's so good just to be back at Fourth U and to see everyone and hear Sean's great music and and to spend this time with you, Ember. So thank you. And thank you to all of our listeners, whether you're listening on the podcast or the YouTube videos. Uh, it's wonderful having you all with us. And, you know, I don't want to be sound like too much of a YouTuber, but, you know, like, subscribe, leave comments to let us know that you listened. Uh, we love getting to hear from you.